0: You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast. A podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your esteemed host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and Rick. However, I'm recording this introduction a little bit separate because this podcast is actually inspired based on a conversation that we had about predictions for the next year. This is actually our 52nd episode, which marks a full year that we've actually been doing this podcast. It's pretty exciting. We are, you know, really stoked to have been embraced like this by you and our community. And we really, I guess, the goal of this episode is to kind of give back in really, I, I think that predictions and forecasting are very very important and this episode should hopefully influence whatever it is that you're thinking about for the future. I know that a lot of you who are listening to this have a crowdfunding event that is going to happen or you're working on something and prepping for an event and I wanted to make sure that you guys were thinking about this type of stuff and it just the end of the year seemed like a really appropriate time to to talk about predictions and to even make them. And really, I guess we're not making predictions, we are forecasting, which I guess it's true that every forecast is a prediction, but not every prediction is a forecast. And uh, I guess, let me explain that. So a prediction is you're basically estimating the outcome of something based on unseen data, you know, and you may base that on some variable that you see right now, for example, I see a cloud in the sky, I think it's going to rain, or just making the statement, I think it's going to rain tomorrow. Now, I think forecasting is a little bit different because you're basically making a prediction using a little bit more data. And I think one of the most essential bits of data is time. And so you can say, you know, based on, you know, it rained yesterday, so I think it's going to rain tomorrow is is an example of a forecast. So it's a really simple example, but it's much different than a prediction, which really you have no hard evidence to suggest that you might be correct in that. And so I guess why is all of this important? Really in, you know, with crowdfunding and and everything, we have dealt with these crazy trends, um, you know, with the coronavirus impacting shipping and, you know, I mean, there's so much that I think none of us predicted correctly, you know, that happened this last year and I think that this forecasting is quite important for the next year, because a lot of you might be thinking about what time am I going to launch my Kickstarter? Or when am I going to fulfill my Kickstarter or game found at the moment? And it's just, I mean, there are so many questions out there. And I think that, you know, just we as people, as business owners, as creators need to do this type of exercise. So let's talk about forecasting. So we talked about kind of the difference between prediction and forecasting. We kind of talked about, you know, why it's important, you know, and if in case I that somehow whiffed and you guys didn't understand why I thought that was important, that it, you know, forecasting is how you avoid making massive mistakes. You know, it's like people will flip houses and make money on the first two and then fail to forecast properly and then lose tons of money on the third one, way more than they made on the first two. And they're out of business, you know. And creating games is kind of like that, you know. You can't just say, "Oh, I'm going to create a game because I want to see it enter the world," and run a business like that. You have to. I mean, I mean, you can do that for your first one, but you can't do that for you know your the entirety of your career. You really have to start basing, you know, when am I going to release this, and who am I going to target. And, you know, why would I make this game or that game? Because you're going to have choice eventually and and that kind of thing. So it's very important as a creator that you forecast. So let's talk about forecasting. And in particular, there are two types. Uh, First type is qualitative forecasting and second type is quantitative. So qualitative is really a lot of what we are doing. It involves the use of what is defined as expert judgment. So based on the, in essence, the quality of the opinion. So as, as, uh, you know, at the crowdfunding nerds, we've launched and, you know, just been involved in a ton of projects. I mean, I want to say probably almost a hundred projects at this time. And so, I mean, the whole reason that you would listen to, hopefully the whole reason that you would listen to a podcast like ours is so that you can get some expert advice and, and just experts in your ear. And, yeah, I mean, the whole reason that we created the podcast is simply because we do this every day and we want to just share that knowledge. So um, that's really, you know, I would say qualitative forecasting is so much about, you know, just what a person, an expert feels like based on their past experiences. It may seem like a weird prediction, but it's actually a forecast, you know, like an expert chess player makes a move for a very particular reason. In fact, we just had the World Chess Championships with uh, Magnus Carlsen against uh, some guy who lost. And um, you ended up, uh, you know, which I love chess. I'm a huge fan of chess. So I, of course, listen to the World Chess Championships. And the winners and and the losers are making moves that, you know, that might turn games around. And, you know, they ended up losing a pawn and now they need to get it back. So they're going to make a move that might not be as efficient as possible. A machine might not make that move. However, they're playing against a human. And and so they're trying to get that human to make a mistake. And they feel that based on their qualitative expert judgment, they're, they're going to get that person to, I guess, get into a situation that they might feel uncomfortable playing or might not have all of the understanding. And maybe they'll get trapped uh, because they made a mistake. So that's kind of what we do at the crowdfunding nerds. So quantitative is also very important and we've done a lot of that at the crowdfunding nerds as well. Quantitative is based on, you know, past information, uh, variables and um information that can be quantified. So this is based on, you know, a judgment based on available information. Okay. So a great example of this would be, you know, the, uh, the deliverance case study that we did, or really any, any of our case studies we always talk about, uh, I guess every podcast episode, we're talking about firsthand examples. And that to me is so much more important than theory. So, um, quantitative forecasting is not theory. It's based on evidence and numbers and and that kind of thing. So, You know, that's a little bit, uh, I guess, more into the weeds. But I guess the idea is that, hey, you know, I generated a a 16.9 ROI on all of my pre-marketing for deliverance. That was before we actually, that was all of my organic marketing that he did at conventions and and that kind of thing. And uh, which was incredible Um, It's part of how we were able to fund like that. But I know that, I know that number. And for every dollar I spent, I made almost $17 in return. And I, I know that because of. All of the data. I, I went back and I studied all of the data and how much I paid and how much I, you know, the one thing that is really not factored into that is how much time I spent doing all of that. But you know, in the end, I ended up raising, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for for deliverance. It's it's we're at about four hundred thousand dollars raised now, just just shy of four hundred thousand raised, and you know, we can use a lot of the information that we developed from our first campaign in an expansion. Right, so we'll be able to use quantitative uh, forecasting in, you know, hey, if I invest this much time, I should get that much return. If I if I do these same things, it should have a similar result, and, and that sort of thing. So generally speaking, you know, the prediction is based on a hunch, uh, whereas a forecast is is really based on a formulation uh, derived from measured results or similar incidences or or, or studies of um, you know that kind of thing. Let's get into the conversation that we had, and I hope you guys really enjoy it. Here goes. So today's episode is about predictions. We are going to be talking about what we think is going to be happening based on the state of, you know, our marketing and what our clients have told us, and what our personal experiences are, and our observances in the industry for the year 2022. Um, some of the things are going to relate to manufacturing, and others relate to you know shipping and other things like that but in general what we want to do is once a year we want to make predictions and next year we're going to analyze our predictions and see kind of where where we landed
2: so let's do this so so richard what are your predictions that you're gonna make
1: woohoo my favorite
0: part 2022 predictions I, i discussed these in private i didn't get too much of a response so it's probably people they don't like me my like my predictions but um there's a few things one i think um the base, the base price of board games when on, on crowdfunding systems are going to go up. It's it's it, it, and it, there's a lot of factors involved right now. Our economy is not doing as well. We have uh, shipping issues um, right now with uh, China. Like Andrew was saying earlier, you know, a, a thirty six hundred dollar sea container is now a thirty six thousand dollar sea container. So, and of course, a lot of these companies are are subsidizing the their shipping and the price. So I think, uh, you know, the $60 the $60 games are going to be gone. We're going to be looking at 70 80 $90 dollars for a base game.
1: Yeah, you know, what we're seeing right now, because of COVID and everything that has happened, it's, you know, I call it the economic virus. It just is causing a lot of international craziness. And, you know, not only in the freight prices for shipping, which, you know, we've heard, you know, went from... Three to five thousand dollars for a container to twenty to forty thousand a container. The highest price I've ever heard was like forty five thousand dollars for a container during peak time, but uh, right now it's right around like twenty grand is what I've been seeing people quoted for per container. Uh, this is again to the United States. Uh, I'm not sure about other countries at the moment, not off the top of my head at least, but I would say that shipping by itself is going to bump games five to ten dollars people will not accept five to ten dollars more on a shipping price but they will accept five to ten dollars more on the actual price of a game something that for me you know my deliverance base is 59 dollars. it might be 64.99 um or you know 70 or 69 something like that just because of the cost of freighting the game but then in addition to that you've got like rolling blackouts that are happening in China. So what's happening is um, they are, I don't know exactly why I don't understand everything about what's going on, but there are factories are on, instead of being able to operate 24 seven or, or typical business hours, they are, they, they're forced to shut down during times that they would otherwise be productive. And this includes, you know, raw materials like, like lumber getting, you know, chopped up into things that get turned into, into cardboard or, you know, plastic dice factory. Yeah, exactly. Meeple's things like that are becoming more expensive. So the actual material cost of items are becoming more expensive. And so for me, you know, I've talked to my factory, I'm not actually planning on printing anything. I'm, you know, I'm planning on manufacturing like Q1 of next year, but if I if I were to wait like another two months to get my printing order in, they will have to charge me different prices because that's because they're just more expensive to purchase. If I get them to purchase the product now, let's say pay half now and they buy the material, I, I can lock in some more solid prices. But I do expect the price of games are not just going to bump up because of shipping but they're also going to bump up because of a raw materials cost. I do eventually see freight prices dropping, but they will not drop back to previous levels, you know, if if a company that's a for-profit company can charge more then you know and it's acceptable, they will, right? Like you shouldn't charge necessarily. I mean in, you know, I mean China is communist but they're really capitalist with a communist shell they want money they like money and so if you know people are willing to pay eight nine thousand dollars even though they have everything back to normal and they'll charge eight nine thousand dollars so who knows exactly how it's going to shake out but rick you're correct i think you're going to be right yeah i second that one
0: china likes uh other people's money They're, they're 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 collectors they're
2: they're hobbyists in 2001 the times magazine an article very interesting. And it was called Made in China, The Revenge of the Nerds, where they state that China is no longer a communist country, it's actually a t- technocracy, which is uh, an interesting observation that Times Magazine made. It's why there's so much production there, because it, it was gun hoed by people who wanted to push that economic ideology on China from the US. Basically a surveillance state that makes stuff,
1: that makes Barbie <laughs> dolls. That's what a technocracy is. <laughs>
0: um, they have their
1: little, they have their
0: foreign money collection. Um, th- I found my second prediction, and that was that the backer pool, the overall backer pool, is going to be less in 2022, and my reasoning is because uh, people are going to have less free slash home time to play games, um, and that's because you know, you know, when COVID hit, everyone was mostly at home, quarantine, and actually, sale prices went way up. People lot a lot of board games and i'm predicting that people are now um especially over here on the west coast of the united states we do have some restrictions but we're pretty free to travel at the moment so um things have opened up most almost everything's opened up again um so people are gonna be spending more time away from their home and so i believe that the pool overall pool of backers is gonna be lower interesting
2: prediction yeah
1: interesting i I actually disagree with this Ooh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but but I just want to leave it at that for now. Uh, we'll no, no, finger. no, no, you,
0: you have to explain because we're going to be reviewing this next year and be like, ah, be like, okay. yeah, Rick was right, or no, Rick was wrong, and Andrew was completely <laughs> right. You can't just say,
1: right. I don't agree with you and not just leave it at that. You got to have a reason. What's, what's, what's the reasoning here? Okay, so I, I think that we have experienced a major shift in the way that people's buying patterns and and like life patterns happen. I think there are, you know, just the uh, whole, not just COVID, but in the United States, you have major shifts to homeschooling and, uh, and out, you know, out of public school and also major shifts in consumer behavior, you know, where they drive less, they work from home a lot more. And I actually think, you know, even for our little company, you know, we have just five of us here, but the, I I just, I personally became extremely comfortable working from home and everyone else is now all working from home and we're kind of learning to just live within that bubble. And I think that while I crave to get out of the house more often, um, I also am craving human interaction. And my favorite way to interact with other humans is with scythe in front of me or whatever, you know, I need a board game. Um, So, so what I heard was that you prefer to play games during work
0: because you work at home and now you play games (laughs) and that uh, instead of buying toilet paper, you're going to buy board games because uh, those are more fun to clean things up with. That's right. So here's a
1: prediction of mine in 2022. We have this crazy, you know, the United States has been spending so much money that they have to raise the debt ceiling um, I don't know how that's going to work. At the time of this podcast, it's just a political thing that will happen or whatever. But you had this – I can't remember what country it was that – oh, it was like Uruguay or something. They bought loans from China. It was like $10 million in loans to fund things. And, and so China basically owned their airport and they defaulted on those loans and China stopped every flight from leaving the, that airport. And I do think the US, if if the debt ceiling is not raised, it will default on its debt, which is gonna be, you know, the United States is basically the world's economy indicator. So if it quote unquote defaults, they'll just probably give it more time to, you know, figure out the political infighting and whatnot. But I do think that at some point during 2022, we're gonna have an interest rate increase that is going to um dramatically affect the prices for homes, and we will experience another real estate crash. So I think that during this real estate crash, you're going to have the people that, in fact, Sean, you could even talk about this. I know you and I have discussed this in South Africa, what happened there and what's kind of happening in California, but you're going to have people moving from that, that have the financial means to other locations while other people get stuck. I think that people will still have jobs. But the housing crisis that is coming, I think, is going to stop a lot of typical, you know, big spenders, you know, like big vacations and other things like that, I think, are going to kind of go on hold. And small, uh, we'll say entertainment purchases are going to kind of become king. So that's why I actually think that, uh, you know, those types of experiences like board games and friends coming over might actually be a little bit more popular than – big vacations people might, you know, I'm,
0: I'm going to have to agree with that. I, you know, I forgot about, I did forget about the work at home, even though we work at home apart, uh, but also I, I do agree. In fact, we've had these things in the past and a lot of times they've labeled them as the quote fiscal cliff jumping off the fiscal cliff is what they call it. In fact, I have a wonderful song I'd like to share with you called fiscal cliff. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> We're jumping over the fiscal cliff. Uncle Sam, bend over and give us a whiff. The boys up in Washington, don't give a sniff. Because we're jumping over, we're really jumping over, we're really jumping over the
1: fiscal cliff. <laughs> that's amazing we need to have a tuba <laughs> go off we need to turn that into an mp 3 <laughs> sell it immediately <laughs> we need to make that our intro <laughs> yeah debt debt ceiling
0: fiscal cliff there was another thing with a forest too. i can't remember what that one was about but yeah no i i think you're right i think we're gonna it's gonna do it again we're already seeing um supply issues that are causing problems all across the board with businesses and um in fact, uh, let me. Uh, I actually have the definition of fiscal cliff in my hand for some reason. A situation in which a particular set of financial factors causes or threatens sudden and severe economic decline. I think you're right. I think we're going that way. Now this is it's now a really crowdfunding political podcast. Sean, do you want to?
1: You know what I was talking about with that South African thing? You, I don't
2: know if you want to go into what happened, where people with money could move out and whatnot. I I would definitely agree with you. I, I do foresee in the near future a new international economic order arising out of all of this. But essentially what happened in South Africa, you had a similar situation where the economy was crashing and things were sort of not going very well. So people who had money left the country and they they tried to take their money out of the country as well, but were stopped. (laughs) So my grandparents were an example of this, who uh, were quite wealthy in South Africa, tried to leave and had to take the government to court to try and get their their uh, revenue out of South Africa, which they never really were able to do. I think they were in a long legal battle. That I think by the time they won the the case, they'd used most of their money <laughs> to win the case. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things. So I yeah. their money stayed in the country. That's you might basically that, how you were
1: able to leave South Africa, though, right? To come to I guess it was Ireland or
2: something. Yeah, my my grandparents were they were from Ireland originally, so. Um, but they did quite well in South Africa. My grandfather was a civil engineer. My dad's yeah. a civil engineer. <laughs> yeah, they were able to come back home. I suppose as they, they would say.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting because the, you know, the state of California, which is where I live right now, uh, for the next month, is, um, it lost population for the first time in its 150 year history. It had always grown 100 and, or whatever however many years it had been in existence. It had always increased in population, but it decreased this year because a lot of people are moving out because, uh, it's very expensive and they're making bad decisions and people are seeing kind of the ramification. And so those people are leaving and, uh, you know, there are a lot of other places that are more affordable. And if you want, as a first time home buyer to purchase a home in California, good luck, you know, go to the middle of the desert and you'll find a home that's affordable but you know even our gas is five bucks a gallon or more (laughs) right now yeah Yeah, that's horrible. so what i'm thinking is that you know we we actually are moving to texas you know it was was because we just have too many children we need more bedrooms in our house and you can't we can't really afford that in california so uh my you know my parents live in texas and so we're we're gonna move over there yeah i yeah (laughs) yes so it's one of those things that our equity in our house is really the only thing that would allow us to, you know, by selling our house, we will have the money to move. However, if there's a sudden market change, you know, and actually we're, you know, seven days from closing escrow on on our, our home, then I'll be homeless. Uh, by the time this podcast releases, I will be homeless, everyone. <laughs>
2: Aren't we all? Aren't we all, Andrew? Yes.
1: The, the idea is that if, the market shift happened, and home prices dropped. This is very common, you know. Every whatever it is, seven to fifteen years, there's a housing market crash. It happened in nineteen ninety three. It happened again in two thousand eight, and uh, it may happen again in you know like twenty twenty two. If it does, or if it did, and I was still in my home, I would I couldn't move. I would have to stay. And my thought is that. In this case, this housing, you know, if there is a housing crash and whatnot, you will find the people that have the means to move and actually purchase and put big down payments on, on homes or buy homes for all cash. Those people will, will relocate and the housing markets in those areas will be so hot that you will have to pay 20% over what the list price is all cash to even have a hope of getting that home and everybody else that can't afford it will have to stay put. And uh, I think that that's going to cause, you know, be some cause for uh, some, some insanity. Another issue on the flip side of the coin is
0: um, smaller communities in the United States. um, Their housing uh, values are going way up and it's getting harder to buy those homes because um, people, the majority of people now are more people are working at home and the businesses, their, their companies they work for don't, um, they pretty much have released them like where they live. They can live anywhere now. So these smaller communities that, you know, don't really have, you know, they're not, you know, big, you know, cities or metropolises and they have a, a more affordable housing, their housing is going up too as an effect of this because people now are selling or moving away from, you know, the city where their office is and they're moving out to the country.
1: Yeah, I find that really interesting. Also, you know, rent is, interestingly enough, in various areas that I'm looking for homes, the rent is extremely affordable. Compared to like the purchase price of homes, I think that I don't, I mean, I'm not a real estate expert, but, um, it just, it, it's really curious to me, you know, it seems like it's it's here. I'll, I'll give you a reality expert. Uh, my older brother lives in upstate New
0: York. He doesn't live in the city. He lives in like the farms. He's literally surrounded by farms and I'm renting a one bedroom, like just the bedroom. That's it. No home, just a bedroom bathroom. That's it. Shared use of facilities. I am paying more money renting a one bed than he is on his entire mortgage for a three bedroom two bath home. California I'm, prices. I'm, I'm
1: following Andrew to Texas. Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do not let your your girlfriend listen to this podcast. Oh, she'll she's a snoop. She'll hear it. Oh no. She, I hope she doesn't
0: dislike. Keep, me. Don't edit that out. Keep that in. I want her to hear that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can't say that this is a prediction for um, 2022, but I feel like in the next 10 years sometime we'll have the big 10.0 and half of it, uh, California will slide into the sea. I just, that's, <laughs> I don't know. Say that's like the next know. ticket. It's supposed to split according to the old science
0: uh, <laughs> images we see. It's supposed to be like the new California. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> California
1: and new California with roving gangs and snake bliskin that has to rescue the president's daughter. Um I don't know if y'all seen that movie. I loved it. No. Escape from LA. So, okay. Those are some really heavy predictions. I have some more heavy predictions. Uh, right now, Amazon is winning and small businesses are really losing. Uh, what's happening with this supply chain crisis is that you can't, as a small business, if you didn't prepare – you. I mean your stuff, your products that you want to sell – for Christmas time might be stuck on a boat and you're just, you're stuck. But Amazon relying on, you know, thousands and tens of hundred or hundreds of thousands of real uh, retailers, customer behavior is adapting to say, instead of going one place or another, I'm just going to go to Amazon, which has all the things. And they're going to look for whatever it is. And if they can't find the thing they wanted, there are plenty of alternatives on Amazon to make their decisions easy. So, I I'm seeing this this huge trend right now of Amazon of products on Amazon are selling like crazy, and products in local game stores, like for example, you know, board game shops, are you know, RPGs and whatnot, they are not increasing at the same rate that Amazon sales are increasing. So, customers are increasingly you know, likely to just shop on Amazon or, or big online retailers, and there's this this thing that's happening right now, which is called buy now, pay later. Uh, you know, PayPal's doing it. There are a lot of companies that are kind of jumping on the bandwagon to buy now, pay four interest-free payments or six interest-free payments, and uh, you'll you know in the future, and you'll have the thing. Um, that increased from like. 20 billion dollars in revenue in like 2018 to 24 billion dollars in you know buy now pay later in uh, 2019 to a hundred a hundred billion dollars in 2020 and my expectation is that more people in 2021 are going to be buying now and paying later and my so my prediction is that the the buy now pay later model is going to dramatically influence the way that small businesses. Um Adapt to this weird supply chain crisis. they're gonna they're gonna allow people to come in, buy you know, put their credit card on file, walk out with product, and pay later for it.
0: so i I, I agree and sort of disagree at the same time. Um, Amazon is killing it, and it's not just small businesses, it's also the big box stores. And the reasoning behind that I used to work for a big box store um, over the years, they don't want as much inventory because inventory costs a lot of money. So they've been reduced because they've, they've, they've actually improved, you know, technology and they've gotten their, their um you know, from, from uh, their product shipment has become crazy. Like I remember when, if, if, if I was, when I was working there and someone inquired on a product and we didn't have it, I can look and be like, Oh, it's stuck in a, in a hurricane at this, this state, but it'll be here, you know, as soon as it clears. I mean, th- it was ridiculous. The technology we had on, you know, things coming in, but because of that, the warehouses have shrunk and amazon's the opposite amazon is a big 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 warehouse that also stores other people's stuff um you know if you're a third party uh you know person on amazon they want you to store their your stuff in their warehouse so they can get the you know yeah, get people you. prime and stuff like that and charge you so where small businesses and big box stores both have a problem of getting product Amazon already has it and that's why they're they're killing it. However, when it comes to I think the issue when it comes to small game stores is that they're not changing with the times. And you know, they just open up, they have their store, some have gaming areas and stuff, but they're not as community driven as they used to be and I think they need to be more community driven. And for example, I know you talked about the uh the you know, take uh, buy or buy now pay later. Um I used to work in a small business, a small retail shop and we actually had that option available. This was, you know, this was decades ago. Um, We did it through, we had, we, um, our local bank actually had this program where we can uh, have someone fill out an application and we we faxed it to the bank. (laughs) Woohoo, fax. I don't think we have those anymore. Um, We faxed it to the bank and then they would, within five minutes, their bank would fax us back a response. And what was great on, you know, if if you're the small business, what's great is if they fax back a response as good, you're getting the money like the next couple days, like from the bank. So you're paid off. And then of course that deals with the client and the bank after that. Um, So as a small business, it's a big win because you're getting the money right away, even though the uh, the client's paying. But I think um, small businesses, you know, if they want to survive, you know, like board game stores, they need to be more community centric. They need to offer those things like buy now, pay later. um, And just pretend they're like the big boys without being the big boys. I think they'll do better because it's more of a, Um, uh, intimate experience when you're at a game store versus buying online. Now I know COVID, you know, caused a lot of issues and they had to close and we lost a lot of great gaming stores because of it, but I think um, they will start coming back. And like I said, if you, if you have the opportunity to go to one in your neighborhood, I would highly recommend it because you can make, make a lot of new friends and new connections uh, um, as well as, you know, have, have a great time.
1: My last prediction kind of relates to the way that a game, you know, like a retailer would operate is that distribution has always been the bottleneck in the retail space. You know, distributors need like guaranteed sales. There are a lot of people that will take games on consignment that will pay you when they get paid. But everybody wants to get to the, uh, what I'll call the land of milk and honey, which is distribution. They want you know, 5,000 units of their game to be taken and paid for at 40% of the retail price uh, from a distributor. And then the distributor can, you know, give it to whoever, but that's a major way that, that, you know, companies get paid and um, hobby game stores. They are all about, um, you know, buying from distributors. They have typically shunned buying direct from retailers Um, except on Kickstarter um, because, you know, they want to get all their stuff from one place. They want one shipping price and, and, and that sort of thing. And they're not going to buy, you know, 5,000 units. They're going to buy like three to six and, you know, some might buy more, but the idea is that I think distribution has really tightened up this year. I think that distribution distributors are going to crumble further and retailers are going to be more open minded to go a different route to to stock their stores and the the top route is going to be that they're going to pick their favorite their favorite companies and buy direct from them i think that that's going to happen more often coming up in 2022 because distribution a lot of retailers are like hey you know your product is out of stock or whatever to to clients of ours and The client will say, no, we have stock and the distributor just hasn't, hasn't updated or hasn't ordered or or whatever. So, you know, and so that's, that's my prediction there
2: for 2022. So one thing I predict, and I'm not going to say this is a strong prediction, but it's, I have a suspicion more so than a prediction is that because, The global economy has become so centralized. Like literally, China has some blackouts. They they have some struggles with shipping. It just impacts everyone in the world, which is ridiculous. I think you're gonna see a lot more people trying to push for homegrown solutions. So a lot more nationalism rising up. Hey, we need to bring industry back to the United States. We need to get it out of China, and we need to basically have some homegrown production. So whether that's realistic or not, I think that sentiment is certainly going to exist. And I think that's going to probably be something that a wealthy businessman might want to jump upon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I would say if Elon Musk um, jumps into manufacturing
1: board games, we would would just, uh, China would go to war with us probably.
0: (laughs) I think it's going to be really tough in the US though for home. Well, unless it's green, homegrown is going to be a little tough in the US um, because the costs, um, you know, involved like in china the costs are like you know one tenth of what they are in the u.s and now everyone it's funny because when you poll people everyone in the u.s wants products made in the u.s it makes sense but then when you tell them what the price would be they're like oh no you know dollar 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 stores would be gone they'd be ten dollar stores i mean in fact they are disappearing i believe dollar tree just <laughs> announced that next year they're gonna be a dollar 25 <laughs> it is what it is but yeah so i mean a lot of people are gung-ho about you know in in their country uh, manufacturing
1: until it comes to the cost and their involvement in it. You know, just to, to get a single prototype made for deliverance is like $200, but to get prototypes or to get something made from China, I mean, even just a prototype, well, I guess we'll say the manufacturing run, it's like $10 per game. If I were to manufacture at scale in the United States, we would still be buying all of our plastics from China, because the US does not have the ability to to do injection molding at the at the, the level that China can, the quality and everything is higher there. But we would still be paying two to three times
2: that. It, but it's interesting because in the seventies, China was a third world country. It was American businesses who pumped money into China and that's where it is today. Yep. So if that money had just been pumped into America, you would be in this predicament. <laughs> <predictable.
0: laughs> well, I mean, yeah. we still have because the labor laws. We'll st- we'd always still have higher prices. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah,
2: yeah. We, we, we,
0: we dug we dug our own tunnel to China on that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we yeah we we did it. It's it's uh, we moved our businesses over there and you know manufacturing right. over there and now you
1: know you know the this the whole idea about manufacturing in China. There are a lot of people in the, you know, various industries that we work in that are looking for alternatives, like you were saying, Rick. And I do believe there are, I mean, you know, people look at places like Vietnam and other Asian countries to be the answer. I don't know why. Probably just because they're near China, and but I, I would say that it's really all about the infrastructure first. You know, you need the the equipment, and then the experience, and that sort of thing. But uh, one country that has a lot of this is Germany. Germany has uh, Ludofact, which is a manufacturer there they actually do a good job they gave me a decent quote it was not near where uh, you know my chinese quotes were i would say you know it would be about 5 bucks a game more expensive than china however you know it would probably have almost been even because of the freight costs mm-hmm. that i'm paying right now and the one thing that they did not do which is one of the reasons i couldn't use them was they, they really were not a fan of plastics. They wanted to make green games that were you know environmentally friendly. They were trying to encourage me to use wood and other things like that. And, uh, but I have miniatures and whatnot that needed to be made. They do outsource some of their cardstock from China, but they do have German cardstock and other things like that that they, that they can use. So I think that if any country were to do it, I would say that Germany is probably that country so, if there, the opportunity is there for for companies like Ludofact to really or jump light years ahead, I'm sure that they already are experiencing a big boom in business of people like kind of trying to work out of China and or you know in, into somewhere else. You also have the benefit of Novat because it's in the EU already, so you would not be importing into the EU; you would be manufacturing in the EU, and then delivering to various places. So. I could see that becoming more common in the near future as well. I don't know about 2022. Maybe, maybe if it's right, then I'll take full credit though. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds,
0: because it's now sexy Irish Sean's bedtime. Sure is. Make sure to check out our newly, uh, under new management, (laughs) under new Facebook identities, uh, Facebook group <laughs> called uh, currently called crowdfunding nerds, Kickstarter marketing community. I know it's a mouthful, but it may change. But so just do, do a Facebook group search for crowdfunding nerds uh, and check us out. We actually have for just a few days, we've already got a couple hundred people in there and we're already, uh, we're already going. There's a lot of ideas wow. flowing and um, I'm actually impressed. So uh, check it out and see people are asking questions and they're getting answers. And it's a very nice little community. We've started over there. And of course, as always, uh, if you're listening to us on a uh, major podcasting platform like uh, Google or Apple or whatever you're listening to us on, make sure to give us a like, thumbs up or five stars, depending on the platform. And as always, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com for all the latest episodes, articles, and lovely little snippets we have about crowdfunding and beyond and our hatred of California. And meat dogs. And cheap hot dogs from a ranch that's not a ranch. Um, maybe we should cut that part out because we don't want to get sued for that, and <laughs> or keep it in call it a farce. And we'll see you all next week. Stay nerdy.